Welcome to Gun Owners of America's State of the Second. I'm your host, Kaylee, along with... John, and today we have John Bailey with EOTech. John, how are you today? Good, good. Thanks for having me. So, John, tell us a little bit about your backstory, a little bit how you got in with EOTech, and a little bit about the company real quick. Yeah, so EOTech is not that old of a company, um, considering some of the really old you know, Remington brands and stuff like that. We're about 25 years old. Um, we invented holographic technology for optics, essentially. Uh, it goes way back to the 50s, but back then... You couldn't make anything small enough to fit a firearm platform. It was just huge. Lasers were huge. Everything was. But after a while, everything got scaled down. In the 90s, they were able to make something that could fit on a rifle. And that's kind of where the conception uh, happened. Um, in 90, 1996, we made our first one. Bushnell um, helped us sell it because EOTech wasn't even a name at that time. Um, Bushnell kind of put us on the map commercially. Uh, and then SOCOM kind of saw it. And they're like, damn, this could be really good on a gun, <clears throat> you know? So, uh, we started exploring the military side of it, the law enforcement side of it. We still let Bushnell kind of carry the commercial side and USOCOM basically gave us a contract for their, to be their standardized one X optic. And that's what kind of put EOTech on the map. We ruggedized the product, uh, made it submersible to 66 feet, put a hood on it, basically made, met all their needs and they were standardized on it and they are the tip of the spear. And everybody down below that, law enforcement, government agencies, all of that basically said, we want what they're using. And it just exploded after that. The other part politically is the sunset ban that uh, Bill Clinton had in place. Uh, the ARs, you know, just blossomed. Everything was just selling like crazy. So the fact that SOCOM blessed us, uh, ARs were prolific. You know, we just, we went nuts. It was a, an incredible um couple years. So that's where EOTech started. I started in 2003. So it was really kind of in the infancy stage of where, uh, the military started looking at us. Um, I did every job imaginable there. I started as, uh, inside sales. So I kind of was the utility infielder guy for all of our sales guys. Um, did trade shows, you know, all that stuff. Um, started the marketing department. We didn't have any marketing at all. So I kind of started that. Uh, our customer service guy went to Iraq, so I started doing customer service to fill in for him. So I kind of got that aspect of it. Uh, I got promoted to sales for a period of time, so I had my own territory. So I learned the whole distribution network and all of that. Um, and then I kind of focused more on the marketing side. I kind of walked away from the sales. And then my boss basically said, you should be a product manager. And if you know what a product manager is, half their brain has to be engineer-like and the other has to be marketing-like. And I didn't have that engineer-like brain. So it, I was the worst product manager you can possibly <laughs> find. So because of that, I got promoted <laughs> to uh, marketing and I oversaw all the product development. Uh, so I had product managers that worked for me and they did all the engineering work and I helped kind of formulate the roadmap and the future of the products. Um, and now today I'm VP of marketing. So we have somebody that focuses just on product development. I just focus on marketing. So I've kind of, it's been 20 years with the Yotech. It's kind of rare to have somebody, uh, in a position that long with one company, you know, the industry, people bounce around a lot, but, um, it's been great. And I've been able to kind of see every aspect of the business from the consumer side on customer service to the sales side, all the dealers and distributors, to the marketing side, guys like you and, uh, you know, the media and influencers and all that. So it, it really kind of gave me a well-rounded career, fun as heck. I mean, this industry is one of the best industries. Uh, it's just, people are awesome. So it's been a great run, uh, 20 years into it. We've got a lot of uh, new things happening. So we see a really positive future. No, it's great. And, uh, and you know, you mentioned the, the SOCOM thing. Do you guys see any of the explosion from that and the growth from the, even the video game side? Where oh, a lot of totally. People yeah. Yep. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's the next generation. So, uh, there are a lot of old gamers, but, uh, and they all know our products, but it's amazing if you go to shows like NRA or consumer shows like that, how many families walk into our booth and the kids go, that's my, that's my setup right there in the, you know, call of duty or whatever it is. And those guys, they're using our stuff and they're on, they understand, they see the, the benefit of using our stuff in video games. And so they, they're introduced to it pretty early and we count on them to be the future of our sales. No, that's great. And 
I wanted to, so that generation, do you see them coming up and getting more into this because of that, because of the video game side? I think it's helping. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's one of the few things that's helping, you know, um, the phone's not helping much at all. You know, the kids aren't getting outside very often, uh, playing sports. Um, you know, unfortunately there's not enough, uh, public shooting facilities where kids can kind of get introduced to that. There are some good organizations that help that, but I, I think there's, you know, social media and uh, tablets and all that stuff is really kind of uh, melting their brain a little bit. And they're not getting outside, being able to shoot, getting introduced to hunting, uh, things like that, that get them outside and, and uh, start using the products and the firearms and respecting the products, all that stuff. Well, it's, it's funny you bring up like the hunting side and things like that. We're seeing recently the Biden administration going after, you know, youth programs and things like that. Do you see a spot where, the industry can take in and pick up the, the funding for that for some of these schools and things? Well, I'd like to see that. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not sure how, how that gets done, but you know, there's only so many government programs and if, uh, the wrong administration is in there to, to defund some of those things, something has to come in and take that place. Uh, industry would be great. There's some, you know, a lot of big companies that make a lot of money on hunters. You know, it'd be nice to have them uh, along with a whole coalition that could, uh, you know, start creating programs to start focusing on those, uh, the youth and even really anybody. I mean, um, your typical hunter is, you know, a man in his 30s to 40s, and I think that's slowly declining. So to get them more involved in it, to have, you know, point out access to land and uh, firearms training, all of those things, you would bolster that. And then those people have kids and wives and all that stuff, and they would get into it. So, yeah, I mean, it, it would be great. Um, how it gets done, I, I don't know. I'm not that smart, but it would be nice if the industry could help uh, kind of start growing that that uh, the youth side and just uh, firearm use and ownership more. Yeah, I think there's definitely been a concerted attack um, through this administration, especially to target hunters. I mean, we've seen it with the lead ammo ban. We've seen it um, now with removing hunters education from schools. Um, There's just, it seems to be a very concerted effort because they know um, that that is a huge group of people that get into the second Mm -hmm. amendment. It's uh, kind of the gateway in in many ways to people becoming lifelong gun owners. Um, And so I think you're absolutely right. The more that we can do to support um, and, and we have a, a program at GOA called Second Amendment Hunters that's doing a lot um, to help fill in some of those gaps as well. But it's got to be a coalition. Right. Yep. Agreed. Now, on the optics side, what do you see as the biggest impact policy-wise on you guys? Because it's a little different. On the gun side, there's a lot of things going after it. Is there the same effect on from your well, end? Our business always lags um, from guns. So when there's those spikes, those fear, um, you know, times where gun sales go crazy, uh, our business uh, stays kind of consistent for a while and then it starts to spike. So we kind of lag. We follow how guns um, perform pretty much. Um, There's really nothing that that hurts us legislation-wise other than, you know, if they ban an AR, that's where the majority of our optics are going. So we, we go where they go. So it, we struggle there. Um, but you know, we, we go on a lot of different platforms. So, you know, if they're going after hunters, which is kind of ridiculous to me because most of them, not saying all of them, the AR is getting more and more popular every day in a hunting situation, but most of them are the bolt guns that your left wingers are okay with. Right. So why would you go after a community that's pretty much using the, the platforms that they're somewhat okay with. I think it's really because they're afraid that those people will eventually get into the cool guns, you know, so it's kind of ridiculous, but yeah, we, we kind of ride the wave of, um, of guns. Uh, right now we're, we're riding the wave of pistols because pistols are selling so well. Um, you know, people are buying them because of the crime and all that stuff. Everything's optics ready at this point. So our product are, we have, we make a, um, pistol site called the eFlex. That goes right on top of any optics ready pistol. So we're riding that wave uh, and it's just doing really, really well. But, you know, once they create some type of fear, it's going to go more. And if there's no fear, it goes, you know, kind of steady. So it's, it's, uh, it's a roller coaster. How will 
for example, the ATF's zero tolerance policy. We're seeing tons of uh, gun stores get shut down um, for clerical errors. GOA currently has a lawsuit um, fighting the ATF on the zero tolerance policy. Um, how does that and store closures affect you guys from like a distribution standpoint? Oh, it's and huge. Ultimately sells? It's huge. Um, you know, we have uh, one of our strengths is our distribution network. So we have, uh, we're really everywhere. We have uh, seven to 10 wholesalers that sell our products to their dealer base, their brick and mortars, all of that stuff. We have direct dealers. So we sell direct to a whole network of dealers, brick and mortars. Uh, we have buy groups. That's a whole different uh, dealer network. So there's, there's all these dealers that prefer to buy in a, diff- in a particular way. We cater to all of that. So we sell to all of those. So we're really in a ton of brick and mortar stores. And if you're going to threaten to close those or restrict those, it, it puts a huge hurt on our distribution. We can, you know, we sell to e-commerce uh, and they can sell, you know, through the website and stuff like that. And that that's significant for us. But the key to uh, our sales is really um, showing somebody how our site works. It's a holographic site. It's different than Red Dot. We count on those clerks, those sales clerks, those face-to-face opportunities to show the difference between our product and a red dot. And if you don't have those brick-and-mortar stores, you don't have that opportunity. You know, people don't learn what our product does and how it's better than everything else, then we would suffer. So, yeah, it's uh, it's really important to us. And I think that kind of brings up a, a, a different point in many ways is, you know, the gun stores and ranges are where a lot of the first-time gun owners come come in. Um, and most of them want, you know, the best, best optic, the thing that's going to make the, them, you know, the easiest to shoot mm-hmm. and, uh, the most accurate, um, as they kind of start their training, how does the new gun ownership and the influx, um, how do you kind of prepare for that from a, from a business standpoint? Yeah. So we have, um, we have about 60 outside sales reps. So we use, um, about five different groups across the country that have, uh, reps in every state. And those reps are responsible for their territory. So we have somebody in those stores doing face-to-face um, training. Um, you know, we're down the street from Palmetto State. Our rep was in there the other day and trained 30 guys on, on EOTech products. So keeping them all trained up and up to date on the products, um, the features, the benefits, all of that stuff is really critical. Uh, because if they know it and they can talk about it comfortably, that's what they're going to lead with. If they don't know it, they're going to talk about something else. So training them and keeping them up to speed is really important. The other thing we do is we, um, we have a range program. So we actually, uh, provide optics to ranges, indoor, outdoor, whatever it is, where they, uh, put our optic on their range guns. So now you have somebody in the buying process wants to buy an AR or whatever it is, and they're out there shooting on the range with our optic they're going to see how easy that is and they're going to like it. They're going to see the success and they're going to want to maybe buy that too. So a range program, uh, getting that product in front of them and a trained staff is really key for new, new gun or gun owners and gun buyers. As somebody who used to work behind the counter, those guys, the guys behind the counter are the lifeblood of the industry. As much as we don't see it, they're the lifeblood and they're the ones who's pushing, you know, your product. So I applaud you guys for having that program and teaching them, I see a lot of companies just throw stuff at these guys. If they're not trained well, they're not yep. going to push your product. Yeah, so. and you have to overcome, you know, there's a, a lot of, it's intimidating for a new gun owner or a, a potential gun owner, a new new buyer to walk into a gun store. And if they are not personable, respectful, uh, trained, knowledgeable, you're going to get that person to walk away. They're going to be frustrated, maybe not even pursue the purchase anymore. So it's really critical to, get them up to speed and, um, and hopefully they can kind of, you can teach them how to teach, uh, consumers. This episode of state of the second is brought to you by Palmetto state armory for over 15 years. Americans have trusted Palmetto state armory for all of their personal protective and hunting needs. Visit them at palmettostatearmory.com. Now with the, uh, AR pistol brace, uh, being attacked right now, what do you guys see on your end? Is that a big part of, your sales being taken away because there that's not an option more or yeah um you know it's just another platform that is not available to somebody so uh in my mind 
at this point, I think everybody's got an AR, a standard 16-inch barrel, uh, you know, collapsible stock AR. So the beauty of an AR is having all kinds of variations, right? It's barrel lengths and different, you know, folding stocks, all that stuff. Uh, and if you take that away, nobody's going to want to do anything else. And, um, you know, the, the last couple of years with um, COVID and the political stuff, people own tons of ARs. So there's no um, incentive to go buy a new gun if you don't have the variations that are out there and the pistol brace and pistol setups and the barrel lengths and the handguard lengths, all of that stuff make you want to go buy a slightly different platform and that's taken it away from us. I think another thing that they're trying to do, and, and I know this gets brought up into to Congress, um, you know, almost every, every session now, um, thankfully it's not something that has been, um, close to passage, but it is something that would affect the industry substantially is the thousand percent excise tax. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's pricing people out of their rights. Yep. Um, if you take a, a thousand dollar gun and all of a sudden, like it's, it's as much as most people's first car, right. Like that's a, a huge jump. Um, how would that affect if something like that were to happen? Well, like I said earlier, we ride the wave of firearms, both pistols, uh, rifles, ARs in particular, we ride that wave. So if they were to do that, yeah, it, it basically takes the, the potential to purchase something right out of the hands of your, probably your biggest customer, your common blue collar, you know, um, type shooter. So it would, it would be huge. And What's even probably bigger is that if they got away with that, they're never going to stop. They're going to go after ammo and magazines and optics, and they'll start taxing all of those things too, and they'll just tax you right out of it. So it would be a huge impact. Again, we would see it as a delayed lag because um, if they did that, they probably wouldn't do it like this. So people would start buying uh, under fear that you know, you, you're going to get priced out of it, and then they would have naked guns that need optics and then we would start seeing some sales but there would be a point where it would fall off because all of that is you know all the rifles are all set up with optics and everything else so yeah it would it would hit us pretty hard a few weeks ago i saw you on the instagram talking about fakes yep how much of that is impacting you and it seems like it impacts the optic side of the industry more than it impacts the firearm side of the industry is this a a really big deal for you guys? You have to it worry is. about this. Yeah, it's a big deal. Um, a lot of it is because we're, you know, our trade dress is so recognizable. Um, and we are on uh, military platforms across LE and DOE, all those things. So, but it's a, it's a very identifiable trade dress. You know, it's an EOTech when you see it. Uh, it's very easy to copy. Um, they, they get better and better every day. I mean, it's, it's really tough to, to see the difference until, I mean, unless you have a really good eye to it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a really, um, concerning thing, um, for a couple of reasons. One, you have your, your customer that just doesn't go by the, it's too good to be true. So they go spend two, $300 when they know in their mind that these things are six, $700, but they just go buy one of those things. And now they're out $300. And that might put them to the point where now I can't afford the real thing, you know, so it might discourage them from doing that. The biggest thing though, is, um, people that are, are relying on that rifle or, or AR pistol and that optic to save lives, their selves, defense, defend themselves, or if law enforcement agencies are buying things. And if it's a copy or a counterfeit, that's not going to perform when it needs to perform. That's really, really uh, critical, and, and um, we try to we try to block as much as we can. We've stopped uh, with um, customs. We've had some um, somewhere we we stop shipments that come in. We've actually ceased and desist a lot of Chinese factories that are over there. But you know, it's like whack a mole. You stop one or two, and they have factories all over the place. They could just say, "All right, you stop, you start." Uh, so it's really kind of never ending, but we're trying to do like the Instagram thing. We're trying to educate customers, uh, to know the differences, to be able to see the differences, um, and be educated before they go by, uh, by the product. And the, the most important one is it, it's too good to be true. If you're seeing it for $99 or, you know, $250, it's just not the case. So, uh, buyer beware for sure. With, with optics and stuff, you kind of touched on it. You guys are 
hit the ebbs and flow of the industry and popularity, what do you think the next biggest trend is going to be? I know pistol optics are hot right now. Mm -hmm. Do you see anything else that's going to be like this big trend coming up here soon? Is it like more LPVOs? More? Yeah, I um, yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of the same. Um, There's not much better optic than a red dot or holographic sight on a pistol it's just real on a on an ar or ar pistol it's just really really fast your target acquisition is quick your uh, situation awareness is quick so i struggle to see that kind of changing from a uh, short range standpoint and lpvos are are flying and i think that will uh probably continue because most people i'm saying all but most people don't shoot five, six, 700 yards. They'll shoot to three, 400 yards and a one to six or one to eight will do everything you need to do there. Uh, but I think it's really around, uh, whether it's, um, optical or digital, you know, everything right now is optical. So you're looking through glass and you're seeing reticle digital is more like a, uh, display, you know, you're seeing a TV screen. And I think eventually technology is going to be there where, you're going to have, um, you're going to be able, basically be looking at a TV screen that has all kinds of data that can come in and really help you. Maybe it's ballistic data. Maybe it's, um, it's troop, uh, data where you know where your other guys are. It, it could be all kinds of stuff right now. They're already putting in, um, you know, compasses and, uh, potential round counters and things like that. So I think eventually it's going to be a digital thing, but I think it's going to be at point right now. Uh, if digital goes down in some way, if it fails somehow, you don't have, you, you can't look through anything. That's why optical um, works better is that, you know, if something goes down, I could flip up iron sights and still continue. Uh, digital, you really can't do that. You're kind of stuck looking at a dead screen. So uh, there's some hurdles, but I think digital technology, both optically, you know, night vision, thermal, all that stuff is uh, really kind of the, the future. I think night vision, night vision, right now is is getting really popular, and I think that'd be cool to see that coming out. Um, especially the digital stuff is it's different, but like you said, like once digital goes down, you're yeah. you're done for. Well, and it takes a a lot more power, you know. So now you have more battery and things. There's just there's they still have work to do to make it um, as good as the the monologue. Uh, type stuff. But I think that's eventually, you know, they're going to get there. Um, so it's just a matter of time, but until then, uh, and maybe not even then that might just be a, an incremental thing, a supplemental thing. I think red dot, uh, holographic stuff is still going to be the way to go for your, uh, majority of, um, hundred, 200 yard in, uh, type targets. You mentioned like most people are shooting that hundred, 200 yard range. Are we going to see with, everything going on are you seeing any trends and in going into more long-range stuff too or we well we did um you know so for a long time i called us a one-trick pony you know we're a holographic site there's only so much you could do with that you know different batteries night vision compatibility things like that but there's only so much you could do there um we wanted to diversify our product line so we came out and our brand is strong it's a, a high quality premier brand so we decided to come out with a line of rifle scopes um uh, LPVOs are, are really kind of the, the bread and butter of what we do. Uh, but we wanted a, a product line that um, supports the brand. The quality is, is equivalent uh, to what, what else we make. Um, so we came out with a Voodoo line of products. And uh, it's got first focal, second focal plane um, assortment. Um, we have three different first focal plane, I'm sorry, um, LPVOs. We have a one to six, a one to eight, and a one to ten. We have some long range stuff, a five to twenty five. That's it's just over eleven inches, so really compact, uh, short system. We have eight to thirty two bench rest stuff. So we wanted to get into that so that we're not just an AR uh, hundred yard and done type uh, company. We wanted to kind of get into the hunting world, get into the long range uh, tactical world. And we've done that. We've done. We've gotten a really good market share with our Voodoo line, and we're actually coming up with a secondary line uh, going into 2024 that will be a little bit better priced for your common shooter, uh, but still have a lot of the features and the in the durability, the um, performance of our standard Voodoo line. So yeah, we we try to diversify everywhere we can. So for those of you out there who don't know what it is, can you explain first and 
second focal plane real quick, like a, a quick synopsis. Yeah. Um, I mean, really simply, it's really where the reticle is placed on the erector, whether it's front or back. Um, the benefit is on a first focal plane, uh, as you dial, the reticle stays at the, uh, or basically grows with your target. So if you're using the um, subtensions for um, ballistic holds, that will be true all the way across your magnification range because the reticle will stay consistent with your target. Second focal plane, uh, your reticle will always be really small and crisp. As you magnify, your target gets bigger, but your reticle stays the same size. So uh, typically, not all the time, but hunters will want to use second focal plane because uh, they want clean, easy, uh, really crisp reticle on their target and just let their target grow. Uh, but tactically, when you don't have, uh, you know, when you do have unknown distances and things like that, you could use that reticle throughout the magnification range to um, measure and estimate size of target and distance and all that. So it really comes down to the platform and the, uh, the application. Uh, typically, like I say, second focal is hunters, recreational shooters, and first focal plane will be for longer range where it matters and, you know, tactical stuff, snipers, things like that. Yeah, I'm a big first focal plane fan. I love first focal plane, especially when shooting uh, like 15, 12 to 1500 yards. Oh, yeah. It's great. Yeah. Um, are you a mill or MOA guy? You know, um, I've grown to become uh, a mill guy, um, <laughs> mainly because, you know, we, we got into this stuff and um, I love I love it. Love it. Sorry. Um, but I'm a hunter, so MOA is, is easier to do the math. And when, uh, you know, it's just inches, so it's really easy, but I like both. And I, I have them on, you know, on my, on my uh, hunting guns, I have MOA and then I have on all my long range tactical stuff. I have, uh, MRAD stuff. So once you understand it, you know, you can go back and forth pretty oh, easily. Yeah. So I want to go back to, um, something we talked about in the first part of, um, today's discussion, which is, you know, the military and catering, uh, to the military. I know that there's a lot of, of push within Congress and just within, um, the anti-gun left in general about banning weapons of war. Um, can you talk a little bit about how, um, your optics differ between the civilian and the military and, and, um, kind of how to combat if people are playing, you know, call of duty and then they come and want, you know, that set up. Um, how how you guys handle all of those critiques um, from the from the anti-gun left? Yeah, well, our optics um, are available to everybody. So what the military buys, uh, all of us can buy. Um, so it really comes down to the features that the military are asking for. Um, so it really doesn't um, it doesn't compromise or, or restrict us from anything. If, you know, if they were to do anything from military platforms. You know, the first thing I think of is a big 50 BMG. Um, they, they say, who needs that? I think everybody <laughs> needs one of those. But, um, you know, that that's such a small, niche thing. I don't think that's going to impact it. But, you know, the AR or M4, that kind of stuff certainly will. So, uh, but our products are, there's there's nothing unique. Um, I mean, there, there might be some odd requirements or like deeper submersion for military and things like that that we don't offer to consumers because, what are you going to do if, uh, if your gun goes to 66 feet in, in a lake, you're not going anywhere with it. Right. <laughs> so, uh, I don't need 66 feet, but they do cause they die with it. Um, so there's very little, um, so I don't think we would get impacted too much with any type of, uh, restrictions from, uh, government, uh, stuff, but I totally think it's wrong. Yeah. So how does the culture play into, um, what you guys are doing? Like, do you see anything on social media or, um, any like shadow bans and, and how does the, the anti-guns left control of those kind of platforms impact you guys? Uh, you know, honestly, we don't see too much of it. We have a really good follower, uh, base that is pretty loyal to us. Um, we, I think because we're not a gun, we're not a, a, a firearm in general, we don't get really hit by too much of that stuff. Uh, but again, we follow all of that stuff. We lag behind all of that stuff. So if, um, and it's prevalent, I believe, and I, I talked to several friends that are, uh, you know, work for gun manufacturers and they're getting crushed by all of that stuff. And if they're getting crushed, that means it's impacting what they're trying to do. And if that's happening, then it's going to impact what we, 
uh, do. So it's, um, it's always, we're always one step behind them, but anything that happens, and I believe it is happening, um, will impact us at one point, but we don't have a lot of that directly to us socially. No, we just saw, I think this week, I've seen posts by Night Vision and Recoil and all and a couple other companies that are getting that that notification on I saw Instagram. Saw Recoil, yeah. Which is weird because Recoil is a print, yeah. You, you know, side. I don't get why they're getting hit, but it I made also, me curious what it was yeah. that triggered that because you're right, they're they're a kind of a traditional publication. I don't know of anything that they could have done that that is really bad enough to warrant something like that but it just tells you that maybe they're they're um going after more and they're getting more restrictive if they're going after somebody like recoil well as a as a marketing person do you see that if that keeps that trend keeps happening on social are you going more towards print media more traditional media or is it just trying to get a combination of both yeah it's um right now our trend is to still go more digital uh, and social. Um, we have, we have a big follower. That's an kind of an older crowd, um, either traditional hunters or, you know, just 40 to 60 year olds that have good equipment and they buy our stuff. Um, I believe cause I'm not that far from that age. I believe that a lot of them still like to read magazines. So, um, I still have a good mix of print to digital, uh, but it is transitioning more to digital and social because that's where, uh, a lot is happening. You can get in front of people quickly. Print takes a little bit of time. You don't really get to see the immediate return. Actually, you don't get to see a return on investment. You're hoping. You're crossing fingers. Uh, digital and social, you can. You could follow clicks. You could follow, um, you know, the results of social and stuff like that. So, we are kind of shifting that way. But we have a, a legacy group of people that uh, really follow us. That's the older crowd that uh, I think still requires and still wants that print side so we still do quite a bit now you you did mention that older crowd do you see the average gun buyer age and everything changing that demographic completely over yeah. the over the last few years yeah i do um and it's a good sign um it still f makes me a little concerned that um that next group is not going to do it you know i think you're 25 to 36 37 year old is buying um you know but i I just don't, you know, they, they don't have the, the income as, uh, some others. So it might not be, um, them buying my product. It could be buying a lesser quality AR and a lesser quality optic. And I'm okay with that because eventually, uh, and I think my brand and, uh, the perception, they want my stuff and they want a good rifle, like a Daniel defense or something like that. They can't afford it right now, but the fact that they're buying something is only going to want them to want something better down the road. And I think they're going to eventually get into our stuff. So yeah, I am seeing that. Um, I just hope that it translates to the, even the next generation. Well, that brings up a good question for you is, uh, you guys are, are at a higher price point. Do you guys see yourself getting into an entry level price point at some point, or is that just off the table? Off the table. Okay. Yeah. Uh, for one, I say this every day and people laugh. It is extremely difficult to make the product that we make every day. Um, we're masters at it, but it's still difficult to do. And it's made in the USA, uh, made by American workers and all that stuff. So it costs a lot of money, um, to make and to sell and to buy. Um, but it's a reliable product, dependable, uh, high performing. And if you kind of dumb things down. I think it kind of lessens your brand and the value of your brand. We could easily come out with a red dot. Um, we did actually for a pistol because you just can't make holographic sites that small. Um, but why would we want to do something less than that? To, I mean, the, the market is big, you know, people buy a lot of cheap red dots at hundred to $300, but that's not us. And I think it's more important to keep the position of the brand, uh, the perception, the quality, and really, I think it's more aspirational. I love the fact that we'll post something on uh, Instagram or something like that, and you'll read the comments, and you'll see so many people say, someday I can't wait to have one of those things. And it's like, all right, that's that's why we're doing it, because the guy might be buying that cheap stuff now because that's all he can have, and he's out there shooting, and I love it, but I know he wants our stuff uh, someday, and he'll he'll find the money to do it someday. So 
yeah, I don't want to water it down. No, and and I'm glad to hear you say that because it it is cool to see, and especially with the plug and play of the current you know products out there, specifically the AR15. You know, the plug and play of going from hey, I may have bought a lesser quality rifle, but I can buy an aftermarket barrel and handguard and upgrade. That's what I love to see because that brings us in the industry to go, cool, I can keep getting them the yeah. parts to keep upgrading. And eventually everybody wants that, like you said, that setup from Call of Duty. Yeah. That's, um, do you guys see any impact in from, a, you guys are in Call of Duty, you're in video games. Do you see any impact from any of like, TV traditional media too, or that way, like movies and things. You see that as well. Uh, well, we we benefit from that big time. Um, you know, I know a bunch of people at different prop houses across the country, um, and I send them as many products as I can because they'll put our stuff on there, and that's another. That's just another point where people see and they go, "Oh, that that's what I use," and so that you know, if they're using it and you know, I'll go buy it. So yeah, we, we benefit from that. And again, it goes back to that whole trade dress. If you were to put a regular red dot on there, nobody knows what brand red dot is, um, you know, what it is. But when you put ours on there, you just see that trade dress and you know immediately what it is. Um, so we benefit quite a bit from it and uh, we support it. I try to get them as much product as I can. I'm giving them voodoo stuff because you can see the difference there. Um, and I, I think it's just a it's a cool way to get your product out there. It's always on the good guys. I should say almost always on the good guys <laughs> stuff. Uh, so that's, that's helpful too. That helps with the brand too. Forgive me, but what kind of dot do you, is your pistol dot? Is it a closed emitter dot? Is it a, no, it's a, it's a full size, um, open emitter. Um, it's top load battery. It's your, uh, 2032 battery. Um, really good adjusters to it. So it's full size. It's going to be, um, you know, holsterable, not concealable. Typically it won't go on your, your compacts and your subcompacts. Um, but it's really cool. What we did is we focused, you can't really do too much differently from those. Um, so what we did, we wanted to kind of keep our holographic weapon site window size. So our window is more rectangular. And then we really wanted to focus on the clarity of the glass. Um, when we were talking with people, when we were trying to develop this product, uh, one of the biggest issues that people had is it, there's a really red hue or blue hue. You know, you just, you don't see through uh, the glass really well. So we wanted to have a really transparent glass and we achieved that. So what you're seeing is basically your target and a dot and you're ready to go. So wide field of view gets you on target faster and, and be able to see a little bit more. We have a really crisp three MOA dot or a six MOA dot, depending on what you buy. Uh, so it's just a really good product. It's affordable. Uh, you know, it's less than some of the the big names, but more than um, some of the cheap stuff. Um, so I think it's positioned well. It's a good product, good, reliable product. Uh, sits on a Delta Point Pro footprint. Um, but now every pistol is pretty much coming with every plate. So you don't have to buy your gun uh, specific to the to the platform anymore. So it's doing really well for us. Are you guys looking into doing close emitter stuff yeah. too? Yep. Yeah. Yep, it's in. It's being worked on right now. I wasn't a fan at first, but now I'm a really big fan of that close emitter stuff. It looks it looks like there's a mailbox on the top of yeah. your pistol, and it makes me laugh every time. But it, it just the clarity, uh, being that it's a standard emitter, and I know with the the holographics a little bit different. How do you guys combat the stigmatism and the the multiple dot seeing and and things like that? Yeah. So, uh, holographically, it's totally different yeah. answer than, uh, the red dot, but it's, uh, that's one of the benefits of the holographic site. So we're stepping away from the pistol sites, but it's really just, a um, it's a focus. Uh, it's how good your, your led is. Uh, it's how you focus it. And then really it is a lot of that glass. You know, if you have, um, the, the coatings on there that are really designed to kind of bounce that, that dot back to you, it's going to create distortions and things like that so our clarity of glass helps create a really crisp dot the focus point um just design there's you know there's all kinds of things you could do uh holographically totally different you know we're able to to capture the reticle totally different we could focus it at the distance of your target so it's always in focus when your target's in focus so um it's just optical science that is way way above my <laughs> my ability to speak it and 
because you know we we reach a, a wide audience what is the benefit of a holographic verse a standard red dot there's a ton um I'll, I'll start with the the only negative is battery life um ours is powered by a laser as opposed to an led leds just don't take that much power um ours uh lasers needed to run it um but even then we get two thousand hours of use and it's got an auto shut off so that's months of time, you know, so it's really not a, a, a hindrance at all. But if you're talking to people that want to know that the advantages and disadvantages, that's the only disadvantage. The advantage, though, is uh, heads up display. Um, the reticle uh, using a laser and holographic technology, we have the smallest dot in the industry. Uh, we say it's a one MOA dot. It's physically even smaller than that, but our eyes can't perceive it smaller than one MOA. So, we're able to have that heads-up display, that ring around there to get you on a target really, really quick. But a dot that's so small, you can still shoot to two, three, four hundred yards. At four hundred yards, you're covering four inches of your target. So at one X, it's still really, really good compared to a red dot that might have a two or a four MOA dot. Four MOA at forty or four hundred yards is sixteen inches. That's covering you know the whole chest of a target. So uh, we could be more accurate at distance. We're faster than anything else. Um, we have more brightness settings than anybody else. We have 10 night vision settings if you have a night vision device to go behind it. Um, it's parallax free, which is kind of a, um, uh, it's just now the, the right terminology. People use parallax free, uh, but our system, because we use flat glass, uh, there's virtually no parallax. Whereas a red dot that uses like a concave or a, a, a rounded uh, lens, they use that to collimate that uh, that LED light. There's a ton of parallax there. So if you do this while looking, your dot is moving back and forth from your on your target. So um, we can you could really be anywhere in the window and still be take a a, a shot that you know is going to hit. So there's a ton of different advantages, um, but I think it's really speed and uncompromising distance. Now, how do you, with, with upgrading battery technology and things like that, is there a way to combat that so you can get longer battery life or is it? Yeah, um, it's really efficiencies of our production. Basically, the way that we capture the, uh, the reticle in the image, if you can do that more efficiently, uh, it doesn't require as much to power to, to basically brighten that up. Um, it's not going to be in waves of hours though uh it is limited to that to a laser so that might help i mean later on those could get uh better we're working on technologies that don't require a laser uh, and if that's the case that could totally change our um our whole platform you you did mention that you guys are at the ebbs and flows of the industry and things that are popular you know you're playing catch up uh have you seen anything recently where you're like yeah, it's not going to last long or, or, Hey, this, we're going to come out with this product, but we were worried that something might not work out or, or something like that. Uh, no, I would actually say the opposite is that closed emitter. Yeah. Uh, you know, we came out with the one and we had closed emitter on our mind. Um, but at the time it just was, it, it was for professional use and some people were using it. It just wasn't that popular. And now it's, it seems to be growing, uh, really quickly. So it's just, like I said, the opposite, we didn't see something and go, that's never going to work. We saw something that was like, damn, we probably should have been a little faster <laughs> on this. Cause we didn't, uh, anticipate it, uh, kind of growing and getting interest as fast. So, uh, it's one of those things that now you got to kind of do catch up. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know of any, and the other thing that's growing that, um, I'm surprised on is lever guns, man. Oh yeah. Oh, lever guns are going crazy. And, and some of them are so tricked out and cool that, uh, and I, if you'd have said lever guns are going to be popular like a year ago, I'd say you're crazy. No way. And they're going crazy right now. Well, are, are we seeing a trend towards more, like we're seeing a lot of companies do like the tricked out lever guns and a lot more companies coming out with bolt guns. Are we seeing that trend to start going towards more of the mechanical side than the semi-auto side? I think you are. Yeah. I think you're seeing, um, I think the caveat is has to be cool. 
you know, a, um, I mean, there's some really cool traditional lever guns that everybody should probably have. And it'd be nice to put over the fireplace and, and bring out every once in a while. But when you start adding, you know, the tactical rails and, and all of that stuff to it, uh, Q makes the mini fix and the fix a cool uh, alternative bolt action gun that is just modular and, and really kick ass, you know, and when you do that, it now makes you go, you know what? I never wanted a bolt gun, but that is really cool. Um, so I think that's the caveat is you can make traditional stuff, but it has to be super cool, you know, cool barrels, proof barrels and, uh, cool Cerakoting and, you know, just updated to, uh, you know, our times as opposed to, you know, the crusty old guys. I mean, you don't want your daddy's 30 out six. Oh, really? No, I'll take it, but I'm never going to bring it out of the safe. Yeah, unless there's a way to kind of make it cool. Would you guys do like a lever gun specific optic? Yeah, um, I would love to. It's uh, on lever guns. The beauty is those are typically brush guns. They're close. You know, there's nothing that's going to really shoot far and accurate. They're, um, you know, they're at nine millimeter and uh, 44 and forty-five seventy things that are going to go through trees and stuff like that. So our holographic sight is just amazing on it because you're not relying on uh, a long distance. You just want to bring that thing up fast and still have accuracy. So uh, we could, we could definitely do anything. Um, you know, the other beauty of our product is we can make any reticle pattern that we want. So if there's some ballistics to unique to, a uh, let's just say 4570, uh, we can actually create a reticle that provides dots that are specific to that, uh, rifle or that caliber, um, specific platform. So we do that right now for uh, 300 blackout. We have a two dot system and the first dot is for, um, 50 and 150 yards, depending on whether it's subsonic or supersonic. And then, um, different if you shoot supersonic, so we can do unique reticles. So it would be really cool to do something specific for a lever gun. We, you brought up Q and 300 blackout, which means I have to bring up eight, six blackout. What's yeah. your thoughts? I love the idea. Um, you know, I'm seeing Kevin going to Africa and shooting enormous Ooh. animals with, uh, with that. So it's, it's, looking like it's going to be a really, really cool, um, caliber, you know, that can do everything and extremely short barrel. So that's kind of that cool factor. That's the mobility thing. I can pack that thing anywhere I want. Um, I can reliably shoot, reliably shoot, uh, big game. Um, I think it's, it's going to be really, really cool. That's another one that, you know, that's, uh, as it gets more popular, that could be something we make a unique reticle to. I'd love to see when, when cool things like that we've seen over the last five to 10 years, a lot of new calibers come out that kind of like pop up and then disappear. I think eight, six blackout might hold on. Yeah. That's the, that's the tough part is, um, you know, attaching to that caliber too early, you know, you've in, uh, two, two, four Valkyrie is still out there, but it's not you know, like common caliber anymore, but you almost have to kind of sit back and see how, you know, if the, if the credibility is there and if it works and other companies, um, ammo companies and all that kind of get on board with it before you could really kind of, before we can do anything with it. So it's kind of a sit and wait. Um, but that eight, six is, I think it's one of the most promising new rounds that, uh, that we've seen in a long time. And I think it's backed by, you know, Kevin is a brilliant guy, knows his ballistics. Uh, he's got ammo companies that are supporting him and providing information. So I think it's going to do really, really well. I think so as well. I mean, you mentioned 224 Valkyrie. There's also six six millimeter arc mm-hmm. and all them that came up and kind of went. Um, we'll wrap it up here. We've been, we're almost at an hour. So, uh, you know, do you see any trends other, you know, we saw the lever, we talked about the lever guns and the bolt guns. Any other trends coming up in the industry that you think are going to take off or we're, we're leaning towards in the upcoming year? No, I think we talked about them. Um, I think it's, uh, innovation on existing things. Um, you know, just making things, uh, function better, uh, make them cooler. Um, you know, optically, I wish there's something that is going to reinvigorate everything, but I think you're, you're, it's, it's making things more efficient, uh, perform better, run longer. Um, I don't see the only trend that I hope to see is 
uh, stability in the industry. Um, you know, everybody benefits from the fear buying and all that when it spikes up and all that, but you also suffer because you, you can't manage supply chain. You can't manage inventory. You can't manage dealers who fear buy. And then when there's really not much fear anymore, they're sitting on inventory and they can't get rid of it. And then, you know, so it really disrupts, um, the industry from a manufacturing standpoint. So I hope that there's um, some stability to things. And a lot of that is going to come down to how the legislation is fought and what comes up and, and uh, how we can kind of squash that stuff. Um, and so I'm hoping that that happens and businesses kind of just trends upward without much of that volatility. Well, and we, we had the, and, and for people who don't know the industry, historically, we have this, what we call the summertime slump. Yep. We always have that historically that it's always, you know, July to August, end of August, and we get in the hunting season, things pick back up. We had the last two years, there was no quote unquote summertime slump. So right. we're now, it's we're seeing that and that stability would be great for the growth of the industry across the board. Yeah. And it was, um, you know, we've done pretty well. We didn't uh, really see much of that slump uh, until late, until July. Um, so May and June were still pretty good for us. But we're starting to see um, confidence in dealers. We're starting to see them start buying for Q3, Q4, and the holiday season and all that. So I, I think things are rounding just like they typically do. But you're right. the uh, We didn't see that the last two years. So I think the dealers were really hesitant on buying during the slump because they didn't know if they're if it's going to come out. You just, I mean, it's, it's all new to us at this point because the last two years were such a shakeup that, uh, you know, I think they're just hesitant, but I, they seem confident that everything's coming back and we're starting to see some, uh, some sales for that, uh, Q3, Q4 push. Cool. Well, let's go ahead and, and get this wrapped up. Uh, John, you know, any cool things coming from EOTech, anything you can talk about coming up? I know we've got shot show here in a couple months. We're coming up towards that Q and Q4, Q3 kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so we have a, a new line of, um, rifle scopes that are off of the voodoo line. Uh, I think I mentioned it a little earlier. So we have a couple new scopes there. Um, the one that we introduced the OGL, it's the on gun laser at shot show. Um, we weren't really prepared to start producing it, but we didn't want to lose the opportunity to show that at shot show. Uh, but we're getting closer to, uh, production of that. That'll probably happen in, in Q4. Uh, so really everything that we post on social, it could be happy father's day. Everybody's like, where's the OGL? Where's the OGL? <laughs> you know? So, uh, hopefully we'll be starting to deliver that. Um, and then we're also working on the commercial version of that, that consumers can buy. Uh, so people will be excited about that. That'll be later in the year or in 2024. Um, so yeah, there's some fun stuff. Um, we're excited for 2024. I think it's going to be a good year and, um, you know, it's the election year, so you just don't know what to expect. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it's kind of consistent. <laughs> <laughs> where can people find you guys? Um, yeah, if you want to check us out on the web, uh, you know, we're at eotechinc.com. Um, but really, you just type it in Google. And uh, I mean, there are 500 dealers. There are, like I mentioned earlier, there's buy groups. Everybody sells our product. Uh, we don't discriminate to anybody. We're in big box stores. And those big box stores buy it at the same price as, uh, you know, the little brick and mortar guys. So we're fair to everybody. And that's what I think they like. Um, our brand attracts people. Um, so yeah, we're really everywhere. If you want more information, just check us out on the web. And where can they find you on, uh, Instagram and stuff? Uh, it's at EOTech Inc. I believe. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I might have to dub that out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for, for coming on. And uh, we really appreciated hearing everything that you had to say and are excited for everything to come. Well, I'm happy to be here and I really appreciate what you guys do. And uh, if we could spread the word any way we can and help you guys out, I'd love to. Awesome. Keep up the good work. Well, guys, thank you for listening and have a great rest of your day. <laughs>